Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. I'm Keith Caulfield, Senior Director of Billboard Charts. And I'm Katie Atkinson, Billboard's Deputy Editor Digital. Hello, Katie. How are you? I'm doing great, Keith. Something about that day after a long weekend. You feel a little more rested, you know? Yes, yes. (laughs) And also slightly more rushed. Yeah, there's that, too. There's that, too. It's already Tuesday Um, somehow. Yeah, somehow. I don't know how. Um, (laughs) But as always, the Billboard Pop Shop podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got chart news on how Olivia Rodrigo debuts at number one on the Billboard 200 chart with her debut album, Sour, and with the biggest week of the year. Plus, how BTS's Butter bows atop the Billboard Hot 100, securing the group their fourth number one. And we have an interview with super producer and songwriter Watt. The recent Grammy Award winner for Producer of the Year has worked with a who's who of chart toppers, including Dua Lipa, Miley Cyrus, Post Malone, and Justin Bieber, including on his most recent Hot 100 number one, Peaches. So stay tuned for that in just a moment. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast provider so you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit billboard.com slash podcasts. Okay, let's do the chart chat. First up, Olivia Rodrigo's debut album, Sour, captures a sweet week Oh, I've been uh, I've been using that pun for the yeah. last week and a half. <laughs> I know. I'm sure I'm sure everyone is very tired of it. Um, captures a sweet week as it debuts at number one on the Billboard 200 chart with 295,000 equivalent album units earned in the U.S. in the week ending May 27th, according to MRC data. Wow, Katie is holding up a box of Olivia Rodrigo Sour Patch. Is that? Is, is there an album inside there? No, it's literally just Sour Patch Kids. Wow. I haven't opened it yet. <laughs> wow. Is it, yes. Was that just at the grocery store? No, they actually did. She did pop-ups in, I think, New York and L.A. In L.A., she did like a car wash. Did you see pictures from that? No. She took over a car wash. Were they, they handed changed. out albums? No, they no they no they were not Keith. Um, they were hand they were I think doing the Sour Patch Kids and they changed the signage of the car wash to like sour. The like sour car wash. Super wow. cute. And Olivia went there even. Wow. Yeah. Um, well, with that 295,000 units, uh, it actually surpasses the year's uh, previous biggest week. 
uh, when Taylor Swift's Fearless debuted at number one with 291,000 units on the April 24th chart. So if, if I didn't actually impress that upon you yet, Olivia Rodrigo has the biggest week of the year for an album with Sour. Um, Sour also <laughs> nabs the largest week for an act's debut charting album on the Billboard 200 since the chart transitioned from an album sales only ranking to a units-based fancy consumption chart back in December of 2014. It actually beats Cardi B's debut set and first Billboard 200 entry, Invasion of Privacy, which opened at number one on the April 21st, 2018 chart with 255,000 units. So the Cardi reference is specifically talking about, oh, okay, Sour has the biggest week for an act's debut charting album, and the one that was that she beat was Cardi's album. Yeah. And technicality here, just want to point out in case anyone is like a big Cardi fan wondering, wait, didn't she have mixtapes? She sure did. She had mixtapes before that album, but mm. none of them charted on the Billboard 200. And yes, debut yeah. album. Yes. It's very tricky because what's who has a debut album? Is it a studio album, a mixtape? It's very tricky these days. This is part of Keith's job, guys. It's an <laughs> album that's that on out. the chart. If it's on the chart, it's an album. That's what, that's that's where it ends. Um, of Sours, 295,000 units. Streaming equivalent units actually comprise 218,000 of that number. And that equals 300.73 million on-demand streams of the album's 11 tracks. So 11 tracks, over 300 million on-demand streams in its first week. Wow. Yeah, that's the second biggest streaming week for a non-R&B hip-hop album. So all the other bigger streaming weeks were basically by a rap album. And the second biggest streaming week for an album by a woman of any genre. And the only album that was both, you know, basically the only non-hip-hop album and the only album by a woman that had more streams in a single week was Ariana Grande's Thank You Next <laughs> with 307 million streams back in 2019 and she had 12 songs on her album i think so yeah olivia she's huge uh clearly huge i mean i listen i listened to the album multiple times and not just for work but because i listened to it and then wanted to listen to it multiple more times because it's a great album is do you think the brevity of it was helpful to you yeah, I mean, it reminded me of like a lot of albums I loved growing up, like Weezer albums would be like 30 minutes and and you would really just fall in love with these like short songs and get connected to them so much quicker because you're only consuming, you know, 10 at a time. I noted um, I noted in my story on Sunday how having a number one album with only 11 songs is pretty rare uh, in, in, in a world now where everything is so streaming focused. Mm -hmm. A lot of albums pile on the number of tracks in order to possibly enhance their streaming numbers because the more tracks you have, the more streams you can get, the bigger number you can have, yada, yada. But, you know, sometimes less is more. And Olivia has proved that in the past in the past 12 months, in fact, only one album that has been number one had fewer number of tracks. And that was BTS's B, which oh. only had eight tracks. I, there's a lot of ways I feel like that Olivia feels like an old school artist, but also very current at the same time. It's a very yeah. hard line to to toe. And she and uh, I saw our co our coworker, Andrew Unterberger, made a comparison of her to Alanis Morissette and Jagged Little Pill. 
And I was like, that's a good comparison, which is great. I mean, very high praise, obviously, um, for this album. But then also the fact that she had this crazy streaming number. Obviously, she's connecting with young people and people who stream. And it's not, you know, it's just wild how she's managed to just cross all these, you know, boundaries. Also interesting, Alanis Morissette had a very, very like teen pop career in Canada before Mm. she became... Jagged Little Pill Alanis Morissette. So where, it's like the Disney career of Olivia versus the you can't do this on television career and I, of Alanis. I, and I think there's some definite, you know, alt rock touches and flourishes to Sour. And yeah. she has worked with some personnel on that album that, you know, comes from that world. Not entirely unlike, say, um, You Ought to Know from Alanis, you know, where she was working with uh, uh, who? Uh, Chili Peppers. There was. Um, John Frusciante, I think, was on it. Oh, really? And, I didn't even know that. And Chad Smith, maybe, from the Chili Peppers? Well, that makes sense, but I didn't even know that. That's Here, wild. I'm, I'm going to quickly double-check that. Okay. Yeah, the first track on Sour, it's called Brutal. It's so... It's just, like, it touched my, like, 90s, you know, Riot girl heart. <laughs> like, it's just so perfectly, you know... Olivia would definitely be playing Lilith Fair if it still existed. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I was actually wrong on both counts. Okay. I I, 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 I I was correct with the Chili Peppers. It was Dave Navarro and Flea. There uh, we go. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious that you chose two separate Chili Peppers. Ba- basically, I'm like, I'm naming everyone except Anthony Kiedis, basically. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, all right. Well, moving on uh, in other chart news over on the Hot 100 uh, BTS bounds in at number one with Butter, garnering the South Korean pop group its fourth number one. And all of them have come in the last nine months. That's pretty incredible. Butter drew 32.2 million U.S. streams and 243,000 downloads sold in the week ending May 27th. It also attracted 18.1 million radio airplay audience impressions in the week ending May 30th. But hey, can we talk about Olivia Rodrigo some more? Um... <laughs> Well, uh, yeah. I'm just joking. Well, it's funny. It's like you're reading the script almost. Um, Well, also, speaking of Rodrigo, uh, she actually has three songs in the top 10 on the Hot 100 this week as her former number one, Good For You, falls to number two in its second week, while Deja Vu hits a new high at number three and a new album track called Traitor debuts at number nine. And with those three concurrent hits, Rodrigo is the first artist to chart three songs in the top 10 at the same time, all from a debut album. (sighs) Man. And also, from reading Gary's article, you see just how big Butter was because Good For You, which was number one last week, went up in like every metric. And yet Butter still is number one. That shows you just how massive Butter is. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see who's number one next week. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Good For You could come right back. Who knows? And now it's time for our interview with Watt. The songwriter, producer, multi-instrumentalist, and singer has worked with a who's who of artists in recent years, helping craft some of your favorite hits, even if you don't know it. Among his hit lists, Dua Lipa's Break My Heart, Camila Cabello and Shawn Mendes's Senorita, Five Seconds of Summer's Youngblood, Justin Bieber's Peaches featuring Daniel Caesar and Giveon, along with the bulk of Miley Cyrus's latest album, Plastic Hearts, and the entirety of Ozzy Osbourne's last album, Ordinary Man. Recently, he won the Grammy Award for Producer of the Year, and he's been steadily working towards releasing his own solo album, which is sure to be filled with a starry lineup of collaborators. In our chat, 
We got the story on Peaches, a track he co-wrote, and how it came together. How Miley Cyrus's Midnight Sky, a track he co-wrote and co-produced, found its way to Stevie Nicks. And how his guitar solo on Post Malone's Take What You Want, featuring Ozzy Osbourne and Travis Scott, came to be. And we even ask if he might be involved on Post Malone's next album or albums. Hmm. So we hmm. will. You'll have to. You'll have to listen and find out. So take a listen to our chat with Watt now. I got my peaches out in Georgia. Oh yeah, shit. I get my weed from California. That's that shit. I took my trick up to the north. Yeah. Hello to Watt and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. Hey guys. So first off, belated congratulations on winning the Grammy for Producer of the Year. I was actually in that virtual press room after you won, and you talked about how much it meant to you given how tough 2020 was. So just having some hindsight, you know, what what do you think that honor means to you now, now that you've had a few a few months to process? I mean, it's just really crazy. Um, it came in the mail, actually, a couple of days ago. And, uh, uh, oh, wait, was, do you have it? <laughs> yeah, I was with a couple of friends. And it just immediately the tequila came out and we all took shots out of it. And um, (laughs) it was really awesome and really cool. Um, Yeah, you know, uh, it's such an honor and an amazing thing. It's not something that really feels like a real, real, you know, I've just kind of kept on making music like I always had, has, have. Um, (laughs) I've wondered you know, when I've seen people actually take shots out of the Grammy, is it actually watertight? Can it actually, it won't actually drip out the bottom? <laughs> no, it actually feels like it, like a, you know, as I was doing it, it feels like one of those things a bartender uses to like, you know, measure out your drinks. And you're always like, come on, motherfucker, give me a little bit more than that. You know, when you see the guy <laughs> take it out, the Grammy thing just reminds you exactly like the perfect amount of a big drink. As big shot. As a shot. Well, you are a big shot. So there you go. Um, <laughs> Well, you know, the award recognized your production work on songs with a whole bunch of artists um, that sort of go across all genres, including Dua Lipa's Break My Heart, Miley Cyrus's Midnight Sky, Posties Take What You Want, featuring Ozzy and Travis. For you, when you collaborate, when you write or produce with someone, just you and another person, is there some secret or magic recipe that makes that kind of process work for you? No, absolutely not. Um it's actually quite the opposite, which is what makes my job so much fun and why you can list off all those different types of artists with all songs that sound so different because it's always different. I was just having this conversation the other day, you know, even, you know, every part of making music is different, just like a different artists paint in different fashions. Jackson Pollock throws it at the canvas and, you know, Basquiat did what he did and Warhol screen printed it. You know, it's like all everyone does it differently. I was working with um, a, you know, someone who was doing melody and lyrics recently, and I just having this conversation with them, um, an artist, about how, you know, for me, it's melody. For I mean, first I come up with some chords, and then I hear melody. So immediately where my head goes. But other artists, and this one in specific that I was working with, writes all the lyrics first, pages and pages and pages of lyrics, like this free-flowing amazing thing where you just see them like just boom 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 like it's like they're making a piece of art you know just flowing words and they really pay attention to like the proper way to write poetry Mm. get on the mic with all those words in front of them and they just start trying different melodies because they're very good with melody they know they're very good with melody but they need the words inspire the melody as the opposite 
of the way I make music. So someone like that and me together, it's we make it so different that it's going to come together and do something really cool. So I love getting with people that do things in all different ways because it makes the end result just be a different thing every time. You know, there's no one way to do it. Hmm. Um, and But I would say a willingness to collaborate is important. Some, some, you know, if someone wants to come in and do everything themselves and they can do that anywhere, you know, we're there together to, to work off of each other. So as long as someone's into hear you know, hear ideas and I can hear theirs and everything, then it usually works pretty good. Yeah. And, you know, one of your, uh, you know, longest and most high profile working relationships has been with, uh, with Post Malone, who we mentioned, um, and his manager teased the other day that a new album or albums, plural, could be on the way. Is that something that you've been maybe in the mix on at I, all I, this I, time around? Not firm or deny. <laughs> okay, he, we'll he come back to you. It. The album's <laughs> dropping Friday, everybody. Right, right, right. <laughs> And you recently had your third number one song on the Billboard Hot 100 as a songwriter with uh, Justin Bieber's Peaches featuring mm. Daniel Caesar and Giveon. So first of all, it is just an, an amazing song and a great a great uh, look for Justin, I think. And how did that song begin and how did it end up with all three of those artists involved like that? Do you know? Well, you know, Justin is an artist that is he's a perfect example. And I'm so happy you brought him up because oh my God, he is so willing to listen to ideas and until he, we, the thing is found and, and he makes it his own. And then once he knows he's got something, he runs with that ball and he spikes it in the end zone every single time. You know, no one sings a song like him. And so getting Daniel Caesar and Gibeon on that song was, was all him. You know, that was him and reaching out to them to do it. That's not like, hey, hey, manager, can you do this? It's him. Do you know what I mean? Like he goes and makes it all happen. Um, but that was a really fun song to do, actually, because um, Justin and I, you know, live close together. And uh, he just, you know, we were kind of deep into the album at this point. And he just wanted to come over one day to jam with me really light and easy and it was me and my engineer and he came over and um the way my studio is kind of set up everything's on took a long time to make that happen but the drums are up at all times all the keyboards are on the guitar is one cable away from plugging in the bass is one cable from plugging in away vocal mic's always hot i mean it's just everything's on so anything strikes you you can sit down and do it so um, you know, Justin, I had fun with Justin, like in that setting, because he's such an amazing musician and people forget about that because of he's so great at everything. And he's also such a larger than life figure that you forget, like, I'll never forget another moment years ago, we were making this record with Rick Rubin that never came out. And I was just playing guitar on the session but I was walking through the house, I was going to the bathroom or something, and I just heard the most beautiful piano playing coming. And I was like, wow, so whoever's here is here to come and play with us. This is going to be amazing. Who is? I was just like inspired. I walk up and it's Justin. <laughs> and 
played piano before and he was playing like the most beautiful soulful chords with you know counter melodies and moving bass and just like you don't learn that you're born with that so you know i wanted him to just bounce around the studio and 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 see what it's like to like have fun put down a beat Justin, go play the drums, play the drums, made up this awesome thing that we looped up, sat down at the piano, start playing these chords and loop those as well. And that was amazing. I put down some bass, I put down some guitar in the time. And then the mic was up and he just started freestyle. He just, the whole thing was all him. Wow. All put down the drum pocket, put down the chords, then freestyled the thing. And it was just this thing that was written in like 30 minutes you know, really yeah. effortlessly. And I just kept choosing the good, the bits that I, that I you know, liked as he was doing it. And then just the, the thing just flew and we were just talking words back and forth for fun. And then, you know, he asked me to send it to him so he could work on it more himself because he, he was really into it. And then before I knew it, it had a whole production that um, Harv did, which is so incredible and, and live sounding and, 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 fresh sound for pop music i think and he had um put Gibeon and daniel caesar on the song which just elevated in such a way so you know the initial thing of getting it out of him and giving him the space to create in that was really my role there you know just okay it's cool do this okay now let's move here let's move that and then once he had something rolling he just took it and ran with it and i think that song's really special to him because he knows he he wrote that shit, you know, he, that was all from him from inception to finish line. And it's really great. I'm so happy to, to be in, involved in that. And that, that initial creation of that song will be su- one of my, probably my favorite memories with Justin ever when we've known each other for like 10 years. You know, a lot of people heard that song for the first time on his Tiny Desk concert, which is awesome because he's on the piano. Like you said, a lot of people might not have ever seen him that way. Yeah. So, um, you know, you've spoken a lot about um, a potential solo album for yourself. Is that something that's nearing the finish line? Are you focusing on that? Um, You know, it's something that I'm really taking my time with. um, And it's constantly developing as time goes by. Have you now regretted ever mentioning it because everyone keeps asking you about (laughs) it now? (laughs) I love talking about it because it keeps getting better and better. Or I shouldn't say the word better and better, but like more developed and more people are getting involved and it's just like this thing that i'm trying to keep like close because i wanted to you know have you know kind of put it announce it at once but um as time moves on and i keep working with more and more people it's all working itself into making sense together but um what i can say is it's definitely an album of collaborations, which, you, as you know, and we talked about already, it's something I love to do. I love to make moments between artists either that really belong together and it's really special or that are from totally different worlds, but for whatever reason, it works. So the concept for the album kind of lies within that. And, uh, you know, we know that what a great guitarist you are. So when you're songwriting, is it kind of a mixture of like, are you starting always with a guitar line or do you start other places? Like, how does that work? Um, I really like starting with bass a lot as well, because with a bass, there's no chords. So it allows you 
when you're writing melody, which I said, you know, it's like the, the original riff or chords for me first, then melody. There's no major minor because you're, you're not, you know, the, the bass line will suggest should it be major chords or minor chords. But when writing a melody to just the bass line, you're not stuck there because it's just root notes. So um, it's a really, you know, I feel like you have more freedom with a great bass line um, and then a vocal. And then the melody can dictate what the chord should be after that. You know, I saw you laugh when I said what a great guitarist you are, but I feel like Keith needs to tell you when he first heard oh, that Posty okay. song. Okay, yeah. just stop. <laughs> so when I heard the Post album for the first time, and it's great, and I get to take what you want and I sort of lose my shit because I'm like, okay, Ozzy, Posty, Travis. I'm like, who's the guitarist? Who's playing the guitar? Like, it's what? What the fuck? Why doesn't he have like a featured <laughs> artist credit or something? Like, wait, wait. I just sort of, I mean, I, I literally played the song like 30 times, like in a row, like in a stretch, because I just loved it so much. So, yes, <laughs> great moment on that song. That wasn't really a question. It was just me being enthusiastic. That's all. Thank you so much, Keith. I mean, that <laughs> probably, you know, it's my one of my favorite moments ever. Um, I'll never forget driving down Sunset Boulevard and Kiss FM comes on in LA and they're playing fucking Take What You Want and there's a tapping guitar solo. I'm like passing the whiskey and I'm like, there's a fucking tapping guitar solo on pop radio. Eat shit. <laughs> no, it's like, so it was so funny to me um, and great and awesome. And that comes like again, you know, that's posty being like do a guitar solo like it's an Aussie song like let's make this a real Aussie song coming from a fan perspective like every Aussie song has a great guitar solo right like classic whether it's Randy Rhodes or Zach Wilde or the stuff with Sabbath or, or Jakey Lee later you know like they're just you want to hear the solos so you know it was post encouragement and then the thing happens with pressure where, hey, you're doing a solo on an Aussie song. So step it the fuck up, you know, <laughs> and and I like pressure. I like being fucking made to perform. Got to perform right now, you know. And so it was just it was so much fun. I think Chad was over while I was doing the solo and he's always like the best cheerleader. Cause it's like, if it's good enough for Chad, then maybe, maybe it's good enough for everyone else. That's how I, like, I always think in terms of the guitar parts. We, uh, Katie, I mean, I realize like we could sit here and geek out for a while, but I, I want to truthfully say that like Katie and I have said, like, there are so many of your songs in the past few years where we're just like, man, this is so amazing. Like the, the Miley record, like five sauce, like it's just it's just sort of insane, kind of the um, the breadth of the production. And um, uh, this is where I was going to say something about Stevie Nicks, but that will all just fall into a rabbit hole, and we probably shouldn't <laughs> right now. No, you can, man. It's all good. Talk to uh, me. Did you did you actually get to uh, interact with Stevie in any capacity, or was it all like through email or something? I did. Um, it was really really great. Um, we were working on the song um, and. Uh, we're speaking of Midnight you know, Sky, obviously the remixed version, just sort of one yeah, knows. Yeah. Yeah. My, you know, when we were doing the song and the song has its obvious nod to Edge of 17, um, Miley reached out to Stevie being, you know, she's so respectful of art and creators and so of, of um, 
you know, lineage of music, reach out to her to show her the song and be like, hey, you know, this has a little nod to you. I hope this is cool. And Stevie in Stevie fashion, which now I, I know because I got to talk to her a little bit, was so receptive and so cool and was like, I don't even hear the similarity besides that guitar rhythm. I, I love the song. It's so great. So it was kind of like the natural progression between that and her um, doing doing the remix. Um, and then, you know, we were we were working on it and talking to her kind of over the phone because it was in COVID and her her um, assistant actually recorded her vocals in her apartment. And we were kind of sending them back and forth and doing notes together. And she stays up real late, <laughs> real late. So, you know, I would get this call from an unknown number after she would hear the next bounce. And I just remember kind of falling asleep in my bed one night talking to Stevie Nicks um, about uh just we just got into a whole conversation about the world and then it was like kind of one of those things where i was like kind of dozing off into like an amazing dream but stevie was talking to me hello and i was like <laughs> still kind of kind of there um but it felt like a dream and it was a dream um and we had to work through the wee hours of the night to kind of get it done in time for when they all wanted it to come out um but another situation where it's like is this fucking real like you know steve you know that song is one of the greatest recordings ever um and then i got to get the multi-tracks and fucking listen to them in the studio playing and listen to those drums by themselves and listen to that amazing wadi watel guitar by itself and and sit with it and like it was what inspired me to make the other songs so it was it was just really kind of surreal and amazing and those kinds of things, you know, you, you just do for the love of music. And it's like one of the, one of the, the perks of doing this amazing job is that you get to connect with, you know, people that have touched you and are the reason why you're here and it's never lost on me. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to get to do that. You know, I love, really the, fa I love the fact that Watt can like, is a, is a student of liner notes and uh, <laughs> knows all the guitarists and players on all these incredible <laughs> records. Um, and uh, Dude, as, I, as I am my too. Dad had, my dad had a huge crate of vinyls as a kid and I sat in my basement and I went through every single one and read every single thing. And who's playing those horns on, on the, this? Oh, it's Maceo Parker. And who's like learning all those guys, you know, and just like those guys are the shit. And that's, that's what I became. You know, I was a studio musician. I was playing on other people's records and stuff like that. And like you said, who's the guitar player on the Post Malone song? Like this, just some, you know, you hear something that touches you. You needs to be able to flip over a record and says it, boom, right there. Um, a student of liner notes, the best way I've ever heard it put. That is, <laughs> uh, that's my thing. Katie, I'll let you take it away from here and, and do what you want. Take what you want. <laughs> I what I'll, what I'd like to do is say thank you so much, Watt, for talking to us today. We really appreciate it, and can't wait to hear more music from you. Yeah, coming soon. We're working yeah, up a yeah. storm right now. I had okay. to just you know kind of run outside because I could realize that through my basement you might be able to hear something I was working on, and that wouldn't. Oh. No, we didn't. We didn't. Hear <laughs> Thankfully, anything. we couldn't. <laughs> we, it's I'm, I'm, it's probably just Stevie Nicks recording her next yeah. album with you. No, no. Well, we, I wish. We, can't we just make that happen? Let's just wish into the universe. Maybe yeah. it'll happen. That would be so cool. Oh, thank you thank so you much, so much. we really appreciate it thank you guys i had a blast thank you all right be good
Thanks. Thank you again to Watt for taking the time. I have the feeling that this man has just fascinating stories for days. Like I, I want more of the Stevie Nicks late night talks. I want, I want it all. It's a great guy to talk to. What I want to know is in our interview at one point, um, we were watching him on zoom by the way. um, And it was visible at one point he left his house yeah. And went outside. And he did acknowledge that in our interview where he said, oh, I had to go outside because I wasn't sure if you could hear what we were working on. Um, I wish not, we could have, but we didn't. <laughs> uh, yeah, we didn't. But I wonder, I'm like, I wonder who is he working with right now? Like, who is knocking mm-hmm. on Watt's door? Hmm. Any uh, at any given moment, I'm sure it's somebody that you recognize, <laughs> basically. I, I mean... I mean I mean, I'm crossing my fingers. What if what if Stevie Nicks is doing something with him? I don't know. Huh? Who knows? More well, Dua hopefully. Lipa? A new Dua project? Yeah, new Dua. Hopefully. Madonna? Come on! Hey! <laughs> um, all right. Well, now, it's time for the Chart Stat of the Week. If I close my eyes forever. This week in 1989. Ozzy Osbourne, hey, look at him, uh, was enjoying his first top 10 hit on the Hot 100. His duet with Lita Ford, Close My Eyes Forever, reached the top 10 on May 27th, 1989, and eventually peaked at number 8 on the June 17th chart. While Ozzy had enjoyed top 10 hits on the Billboard 200 Albums chart and on the Mainstream Rock Airplay chart, a top 10 hit on the Hot 100, our de facto pop singles chart, eluded the rocker until his power ballad teaming with Ford in 1989. The track was also the first top 10 for Ford. Ozzy has visited the Hot 100's top 10 just once more in 2019 via his featured role on Post Malone's Take What You Want alongside Travis Scott, which also peaked at number 8. So there you have it. This week in 1989, Ozzy Osbourne had his first top 10 on the Hot 100 with Close My Eyes Forever. I close my eyes forever. Do you know that song, Katie? I don't. I was just gonna say I don't know that song. I didn't realize this until today when I was when I was googling and researching. Lita Ford at the time was managed by Sharon Osbourne, Ozzy's wife. Did not know that. So that's how that came together. <laughs> Can draw um, a direct line there. Um, okay, so what song should we go out on, Katie? Oh man. I mean, we could do another Watt song. Yeah, I mean, golly. What, what, what? It really, <laughs> I mean, I love all of Plastic Hearts. We could definitely do, uh, do something Prisoner. Like that. Oh, yeah. Pull in the Dua and the Miley all together. Uh, to, uh, to, uh, uh, it's like peanut butter and chocolate. Ah, together. exactly. Um, all right, we'll go out on Prisoner, and we'll see you guys next time. All right, bye. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... 
To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.